0: Right.
1: But you gotta yeah. look close. Yeah. <laughs> fixed now though. <laughs> Everything's good. Oh yeah. Yep. Yeah. Deployed all my assets and uh, paperwork's complete.
0: <laughs> all right. Very good.
1: <laughs> yeah. You don't need to record that either. <laughs> <laughs> it's all. It's all part of the experience. welcome back to the pfc podcast the views and opinions you are about to hear are the speakers and do not necessarily
0: reflect those of anyone else now on to the podcast welcome back to the pfc podcast this is dennis and today we're talking with mark shapiro on. Medical proficiency training and how you can get the most out of it for those of you who haven't heard our last podcast with Mark, uh, if you wouldn't mind, mark, would you please introduce yourself a little bit?
1: Yeah, this is uh mark shapiro i 'm a trauma surgeon and acute care surgeon uh, I uh, started the uh, medical proficiency training at the uh, school in North Carolina and Learned a lot of things from that experience, and I'd love to share those with your listeners. Uh, when I left uh, that institution and, and moved to uh, central Georgia, I brought the uh, medical proficiency training with me and really saw a very di- uh, distinct difference between kind of a private elite institution and more of a county hospital setting and the benefits that it brought to your, your medics. And uh, I would love to share how I did it. Uh, the recipe that I think works and hopefully we'll find, uh, more institutions join this collaborative between military medicine and uh, civilian, uh, training.
0: Yeah, I'll stand it. And I gotta be honest, you know, I've learned a lot from my medical proficiency training, my MPT rotations, just because you're talking to people who do this day in and day out. Um, but starting off, you know, every, Every program like this between military civilian, there's a memorandum of of understanding, uh, MOUs, and they're signed by both parties. Uh, were you there when this was was created?
1: Yeah, I, I certainly was. In fact, it was my idea to get it going uh, at that uh, institution in North Carolina. Um, I I got it from an inspiration where I was a fellow and. and at the University of Cincinnati, uh, they have the Air Force training the uh, critical care transport Ccats and um, when uh, a research project that I was participating in with soft medics and, uh had me inspired but the but the grant uh, ran out, um, I was encouraged to start this type of long lasting relationship that had no grants and uh, And so, um, I kind of, you know, muddled along, so to say, as figuring out how to get this, get this going. And, um, and, uh, the, the MOU was, was definitely a challenge, uh, initially. Uh, but if it's okay with you, I'll just kind of share how I did it, pearls and pitfalls. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So, uh, I was talking to a resident uh, over over a, a case one day and, and an anesthesiologist was listening to me and uh, she thought it would be a brilliant idea. And she was correct uh, to go to SOMA as a, as a starting point and talk to uh, other, you know, administrative types uh, who helped develop it there. And that's indeed where she started. And she came back from the, uh, the conference I couldn't go uh, f- uh, because of some previous obligations. With a large stack of uh, business cards, she handed them to me, and I started making phone calls and ran into Rick Hines as one of them. Uh, Rick Hines and Dave Lowe, who uh, who were part of Third Group and JSOC. and I made a call and they were very interested in developing an MPT and and they invited me down to the schoolhouse to kind of walk through what their medics were doing. And, and I thought that was easily doable. It was things that I was doing uh, with my residents. And so they requested a a visit uh, to, to our institution and, and they, uh, they fell in love with the place as well, uh, which is easy. You know, it's a nice, beautiful place polished nickel and fine woods and marble and so forth. And uh, certainly had the volume, you know, over 900 beds and uh, SICU and neuro ICU. And so we we figured out that we were going to pursue it. And uh, we put it in the hands of our attorneys. And uh, that's where it kind of took a long time to, to get through. It wasn't necessarily a, a strong initiative, on the institution's part. uh, And it took a lot of driving around town and going to uh, the right offices and knocking on the right doors. But if it weren't for the help of the people on the inside, uh, chiefly uh, risk management, uh, uh, there were two people in risk management and one on the board of trustees. And um, and then the offices of, of the legal department knocking on those doors and Kind of gently placing reminders and so forth, as well as uh, speaking with the president uh, and vice President uh, about this uh, initiative, quite honestly uh, i don 't know exactly what the motives were. I would like to think that they were more pure um, and I do believe that the majority of the folks uh, their initiative their their interest was was for God and country as was mine. Um, I was very upfront with him, and said, "This is not to make money it 's not to um, find ways of getting people to work for us without paying them. Uh, it was uh, to provide an experience that uh, I thought was unique to the institution with all the subspecialists and sub sub specialists that these medics would take down range and, and I do believe that the majority of them uh, bought into that. And again, it took PowerPoint presentations. It took some long discussions, mostly elevator and water cooler discussions. But it was that gentle nudging, uh, whenever we saw them and just kind of putting a word in here or there to help push it along. And quite honestly, it it didn't take long in, in institution time. It, It probably took about six, six to eight months. So that was, that was the real, uh, push. Once the MOU was signed, uh, then it was just merely a matter of what I thought was building a schedule for the medics. Uh, we chose to support four medics at any one time and trying to figure out they do day shifts, night shifts, and so forth. I built schedules. The rotations included things like, uh, trauma and emergency medicine, but it also included some other things that I thought they might benefit from, like, uh, ophthalmology and dermatology and, uh, tropical medicine, infectious disease, um, and, uh, they tried to heavily impart, uh, some time for, uh, ultrasonography, both diagnostic and, uh, therapeutic, uh, type of sonography for blocks and so forth. So we were very fortunate. We had a lot of people who at least initially were interested. Um, And I learned if you didn't pay attention, that interest would uh, wax and wane. And I also found that uh, some folks um, didn't quite get it. They heard they were medics. They thought they might be kind of like paramedics. Um, That was a a concern from the very beginning in that – These medics did not have a civilian license as a paramedic, and so um, one of the pitfalls was that I couldn't uh, bring them on as medics. Uh, We brought them on as uh, students. They were labeled as students. So anything a student would be able to do, uh, the medics were permitted to do, as long as there was uh, strong supervision. And uh, the administration was on my tail quite frequently uh, with the supervision part. As you can imagine, uh, a big institution like that had a lot to lose. And one of the uh, concerns from a medical legal standpoint was the medics would never get sued. It was the institution that would get sued if anything went wrong. And it wouldn't even have to be the medics' fault. Medics would just have to be near there, and they were kind of an easy target. So it was imperative that the institution had trust in somebody. They placed that trust in me, and they made it very clear to me that they're trusting me with this. And uh, should anything go wrong, it would be me who had to answer to it.
0: So, yeah, I'm absolutely. As far as... You know, the risks involved because you're getting a, a entire cross-section of people who, um, you know, have greater or lesser amounts of training or time and experience going to these uh, rotations. Um, now, I've found when I have been on my um, MPT rotations, usually the administrators know what your scope of practice is, what you're allowed to do. But, uh, some of the staff, maybe not the attending, but some of the other physicians, they have really no idea who you are, what you're capable of, and they don't really know what to do, I guess, with you. Uh, how, how do I explain my profession, you know, in a civilian, in a civilian, I guess, vocabulary?
1: That's a, it's a great point, and um, what I found was that the medics uh, had the potential to get very frustrated because they superseded anything that a civilian would think a medic could do to the point where I think there was, um, I wouldn't say distrust, but maybe suspicion as to the understanding of what the civilian nurses and residents and and even uh, faculty nurses and so forth could could imagine. So I tried to nip that in the bud in a number of ways. Number one, when I set up these rotations with various specialties and subspecialties, I always uh, sent a PowerPoint presentation, which was uh, specifically on capabilities briefings. Uh, capabilities briefing. This was originally set up by Rick Hines. Uh, some of the medics contributed early on, and then I added uh, some other things to make sure that uh, the folks who I was entrusting uh, the education with had an idea already what they were exposed to and what they potentially could do. So that was one thing. The other thing is, is I didn't expect anybody to read the email, but at least I had it and they had it and there was a paper trail. The other thing was, was to build the esprit de corps, uh, around the medics, not in an advertising way, uh, not in a braggadocious way, but in a, in a collaborative way, meaning that, you know, we would teach them for 30 days, but, uh, one out of those days was dedicated to the medics teaching us. So initially they had an hour to present uh, case studies and so forth uh to the people that were training them. And so we had a conference uh Thursday mornings, the last Thursday morning of their stay, and they had an hour to teach us. And initially it was a bunch of capabilities briefing type uh discussions. So it really opened people's eyes uh on how they weren't just human medics uh but they were they were truly um, capable of, of kind of like a second or third year surgical resident type training. In addition, not only human training, but also veterinary medicine, epidemiology, and all the things that you yourself do. Uh, but, but again, far, far beyond, uh, what a civilian would expect. And so that way, it wasn't the medics saying, hey, I can do more, let me do more, or let me have the opportunity. It was more the attending going, you do this, don't you? Well, why don't you try, and I will walk you through it. So that was that was about three-quarters of the battle. The other battle at a place uh, like, uh, like North Carolina was the fact that um, it was very ultra-competitive with residents and fellows. So the volume wasn't as high. Uh, there as it was for Georgia. It was three to four times higher in Georgia. So it was a lot easier to widen the lanes, if you will, for the medics, uh, and their experience, um, not only in, in didactics, but actually practicing, pra- you know, practical clinical work. So, um, really very little decision making, but a lot of hands-on Um, procedures and so forth. So the more, the more, uh, the more the medics did, the more they proved themselves, the more they proved themselves, the more they became an asset, the more they became an asset, the better it was the next week and the next month for subsequent classes.
0: Yeah, I mean, that definitely feeds into just, you know, part of the job description, you know, as a, as a soft medic is, you know just communication and you know taking those uh it seems you know as a medic it seems like a dig on you you know when they ask you you know are you can you even do an iv knowing that you can do like vastly more than that but doing like the little scut work building some trust you know asking smart questions and uh just kind of working your way into the crowd and um you know just starting to shine that you know what you're doing and that usually opens doors opens windows to do more advanced procedures and more of what you actually want to do
1: it really does an attitude is everything you know that uh and you practice that better than many of uh the folks that I've trained in the past meaning um, some people go into surgery just to be, you know, X. They just want to be a thoracic surgeon. They just want to be, um, you know, a cardiac surgeon. They just want to be a left bile duct surgeon, whatever it is, and they don't understand why they have to do trauma. or They don't understand why they have to do vascular or vice versa. And yet the medics, uh, the more you open their eyes, the more you expose them to, the more they want to learn. And I think that's, you know, that's why they're selected and that's why they're qualified for doing what they do. And it is such a joy to teach. And one bad experience can ruin it for everybody. And, uh, and fortunately, I have never run into that bad experience. There are a few near misses, as is always the case with anything. Uh, but, but each medic made it better for the next class by and large. And, um, and so yeah, the more they do, the more they get to do uh and um and I hope they never find themselves uh to the point where they they are insulted. I just think it's it's the the message sometimes that people use or the language they use that could offend or or irritate uh some medics from time to time. I had an experience where the uh operating room nurse uh she was i believe in the air force. She was in the reserves. And uh, one of the medics came in, and she did not know that they were 18 deltas. And she was running the poor Megan ragged about how he was gowning and gloving and so on and so forth. And all he did was, yes, ma'am, no, ma'am, very, very polite, And the scrub tech was Army Reserves. And eventually he was getting as irritated as we were with the way he was being treated. And yet he uh, he was immaculately polite and diplomatic throughout the whole thing. And once she found out who he was and what he represented, she just backed down and became as pleasant as pleasant could be. And, again, that speaks to the medics and the medics that were sent to us and we had medics not just from third group. We had medics from first and fifth and seventh and ninth. You know the reserves, nineteenth and twentieth, and uh, everybody acted uh, exceedingly well.
0: Yeah, I can I can definitely attest to the uh, to the flaming arrows from the scrub nurse um, having to wash my hands. You know, five, six, seven times in a row uh, because I forgot something. Um, but you know, that's that also comes back on me that you do it right the first time and you wouldn't have to deal with it. Um now before I start a NPT rotation, I always try to uh take a self-assessment at uh you know, things that I haven't been practicing that I should have been. You know, what are my what do I think my weaknesses are compared to the the next mission, the next deployment that I'm gonna go on to. I, who do I talk to so that I can customize my MPT rotation and, and maybe even how far in advance do I need to have this conversation?
1: Um, great, great, super question. And the answer is it's not just on the institution where you go. It's also comes from your own um, administration, if you will, your own leadership. So uh so uh at Third Group uh initially um I had one of the best uh liaisons uh to work with and uh and and Dwayne was that person. Um, and Dwayne always he he reminded me a lot of uh radar uh from MASH because before you asked for it he had it prepared and it was usually either faxed to the office or in your email inbox. And it was hard to replicate that, uh, when he left and, uh, and, and when he left, um, it took just a little more effort on our part to say kind of what you need, you know, the vaccinations and so forth. But it would have really been helpful if I knew in the beginning what the medic really wanted to, to, to work through. So I started reaching out, uh, in advance and I started working with, uh, Aaron Anderson and Aaron was, very, very helpful. Uh, I would get the cell phones early on, introduce myself by text messaging, and and just say, hey, I'm here. This is what I do. This is what I'm going to do for you. Uh, if you have um, some time to talk, let's just kind of talk, and I'll walk you through what to expect, what it will look like. And more importantly, tell me what you want out of this rotation. More times than not, I think the medics were very honest. They said, I'm not really sure what I need out of it. Uh, I'm going there to get a refresher and, um, and, and maybe I'll find that I, I need to get more training on certain things, which was fine. And, uh, and, and with all the didactics that we would do, uh, you would find that there are things that they thought they were up on that they probably needed a little more help. Uh, um, or, or there are things that they're actually pretty good at but you wanted to redirect them and maybe some other things to spend more time and more times than not, they were amenable to that. And some of them were like, look, we never do this, which was fine. I said, let's, let's just cut that out of your rotation. So it was very individualized. And so, uh, you would do it from your liaison on your side, and then you would do it with whoever your contact person, your point of contact on the MPT side. And, um, Probably the the worst, the most uh, I was going to say destructive, but the weakest part is whoever that liaison is. If they're not passionate about delivering this type of uh, opportunity, you guys, um, it, it's just not going to be sustainable because it, it it can be a lot of work and it may it doesn't seem that way when you're not the only person doing it, uh, but it but it is because this takes maintenance. It takes it takes um, It takes attention. It takes, uh, it's like almost raising a child where, uh, just when you think everything is going great, the wheels fall off somewhere. And then you're in the administrator's office answering why your medic was found, you know, on this floor or something they said that a nurse thought they heard or what they meant. And, uh, and so you just kind of got to roll with it and and work with it.
0: But, uh, you know as a medic you know i don't get to see you know the backside the communications the the arrangements etc you know i know that's not necessarily just a phone call of you know hey i have a medic and he wants to come to your you know neuro ICU for a day you know make that happen um sometimes these things take a fair amount of time especially if it's an area that you know medics don't normally go into, you know, pediatrics, obstetrics, um, you know, maybe some of the ICUs, uh, but, um, like, from an, from a, I guess, backside support or institutional knowledge side, you know, how, how long in advance do you really need to, to know that there's an interest in this area?
1: Um, I, I don't think you do. Um, I, I was able. I mean, if somebody's going to undertake this endeavor of an MPT, they have to have institutional trust and institutional knowledge. Um, just to have somebody who makes the schedule and gets the pay, uh, the medic through the paperwork, um, that's not enough. You, so, I, I would say that you need to avoid. Kind of new new territory. You need somebody who who knows the institution, who's been there, and then it just takes a matter of hours, mm-hmm. and, and potentially minutes. It wasn't uncommon for me to have lunch with the medics, and they're like, you know, dude, I can't do another day of dermatology. Got it. What, what do you what, what do you want to do? Well, honestly, I gotta you know whatever. Can I come back tonight? Absolutely. So if you come back tonight, it's either trauma, critical care, or the ED. What do you need work on? I, I need more nursing. Let's put you in the ED. You know? And, and then if there's a really sick patient in the ICU, I will talk to who's on tonight in the ICU and they will call you and just go up to the ICU and work with that nurse there. So it's it's not hard. It doesn't take long at all. Okay. But it does help it does help up front to know, hey, I want to concentrate on pediatrics and critical care and pediatric critical you know it, it does help so 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 some of the some of it's on the medics to say this is what i want to spend time in you know some said orthopedics fine i'll call an orthopod that i think would be a great teacher and and nine times out of ten you're, you're with the residents anyway and the residents love to teach especially when they know they're with a green beret know what i mean
0: you know yeah yeah yeah. The yeah. old green
1: beret. Yeah, they don't get the special forces. You know, and that right, was the other right. part of the teaching. Special forces, they think are SEAL Team Six. Oh yeah. And, oh yeah. so, so I had to, you know, go through that whole teaching as well. And of course, it went in one ear out the other. But you say green beret, and they're like, okay, these are the guys that I really want to impress. And they, and and because of that, they do a lot of teaching. So.
0: Yeah, it's definitely, you know, a, a conversation opener um you definitely have to be careful about who it is that you talk about and or talk to and you know to what extent you talk about things um because you're not only talking to that one individual but everybody else that's in earshot so you got to uh be uh political about it to a certain extent um just despite what somebody's asking you questions about
1: and I did a lot of that too in the in the beginning, uh, meaning before a, a rotation. In other words, um, there were no pictures allowed. They knew that. Um, they knew to behave. You know, the faculty knew to behave, but that didn't stop stupid people saying stupid things. Like uh, I remember one one uh, case, somebody asked something stupid, and the the medic told me, and I had to circle back and say no more. You know, they, they asked if, uh, if the medic killed anybody and, uh, that really bothered me in a number of levels. Uh, there's nothing probably more intimate. Few, few things are more intimate than, than that part of the job and that's nobody's business. Uh, and, uh, I tried to make people understand there, you're in this for the education for the medic downrange. You are not in this for personal interest. Right.
0: Right. Yeah, you know, and I mean, I've definitely been on that, that end of the, those type of questions before. And you know, you just try and say, you know, I, I did what I had to do. Um, and then divert the question to something else as quick as you can. Um, but, uh, I guess as far as students coming into the, on a MPT rotation, medics coming on the MPT rotations, I guess what are some of the pitfalls that uh they find themselves or the common pitfalls that they find themselves getting into just working as a, in a civilian you know in a civilian uh facility
1: um I think I think the greatest pitfall is uh and, and this rarely happened, is is uh, getting into the competitive nature of procedures. Some of the medics were absolutely wizards in um, Jedi mind tricks, meaning, hey, why don't you do this one, uh, and then you can take me through the next one? Uh, those were the medics that were most successful at getting to do procedures, whereas those that just... Use the um, uh, initiative that they were either born with or, or raised to do, in other words, just grabbing a central line kit or just starting to reduce a fracture, or, you know just just doing it uh, to be the first one in line, those were the ones that um, probably had the most challenging time in in the in the rotations now that being said. Those were the ones that had the most challenging times in North Carolina. Uh, but if they were to do that in uh, Georgia, for instance, where the volume was exceedingly high, manpower was exceedingly low, um, they probably would have been rewarded for that type of initiative because it's yet one more person that had to be seen. And if they knew how to do it and had proven they knew how to do whatever procedure, um, they had uh, way more autonomy and you could argue whether that's good or bad, and many times that's not good. Uh, way, way, way more autonomy, uh, as w- the residents and fellows did in Georgia. So it's a, you have to know your environment, and, and I would say that you guys are experts in that, uh, but, uh, I would say to avoid, if possible, the, uh, kind of elite institutions, where that occurs and go more towards the county hospitals where they really need you.
0: I mean, that's, I think what we excel best at is just seeing where, where we're needed and where we can see that there's um, a vacuum, I guess is a a good way to say it. There's a vacuum. There's something that needs to be done. And uh, so we're going to fill that, uh, that gap. Um, is there anything else that, uh, that we should go over that we haven't?
1: No, um, you know, I, I, I think we covered it. Um, just know that the, the medics are, um, the mission is getting the education down range and, um, timing of this type of rotation is important, in the in the psyche of the medic, meaning uh if they're exhausted, um, this may not be the best rotation for them uh at a busy institution. You could go, you know, you can you can get a lot of sleep and a lot of rest in some places, uh, but if you're here to learn medicine, people are just naturally gonna want to immerse you in medicine and techniques and procedures and and uh Didactics, and it, if you go to a hospital for for some uh, for some mental rest, if you will, because you are that's you know, I don't know, maybe you think it's your forte, uh, it's probably not the best time to do it, because uh, a lot of times we'll do nights, and it'll be almost an apprenticeship. And you'll be with a, a faculty or a resident for a period of 24 and even 30 hours. In, in, in Georgia, the rotations for the attendings were, although, you know, although they were kind of prescribed as 24 hours, it was easy 30 to 36 hours a day. And if if you're a medic doing that every other day or every third day, it, it can be a lot.
0: Right. Yeah, definitely it's not, uh, if that's the only time you have to do it and it's more of a situation where you're just getting uh, recertified so you can go downrange again, definitely pick your your hospitals wisely, your MPT rotation sites wisely.
1: It's also good to know kind of who's, who's doing them, kind of like you just said, Dennis. Um, you know, obviously I spend a lot of time uh, I spent a fair amount of time at Fort Bragg, getting to know uh the leadership there i uh, you know have my work uh, with um, with ragged edge and and I get to know a lot of people through that and uh, some people in the air force and um i I really think I really try to help the medics that come to me and get my opinion on you know where to go and and, uh, and so forth. And then I try to learn what they do. Not, not out of, uh, you know, not of necessarily out of selfishness. I look at it as how do I deliver the best, um, education for them and how do I pave their way to these MPTs? Um, because I, I understand the environments and the, the restrictions and so forth that they're working under. And so, uh, not that I, Share, uh, You know, trade secrets with anybody I don't know them, you know, I don't know the trade secrets But I do try and paint a picture So that when they are rotating with uh, With colleagues and so forth That they understand you're not carrying an autoclave And you're not carrying a number 13 widget with you With them They've got a backpack uh, with other things And uh, You know, it was, it was funny and I don't mean to get off track here, Dennis, but one of the, one of the things that, that struck me as exceedingly peculiar and, uh, career threatening at one point was, uh, we had a medic who was probably 6'4", probably a good 200 and, I don't know, 50 pounds or so. Wonderful, wonderful medic, super, super guy, and it was his turn to deliver a talk. And, He gets up at the front in front of a very large audience, and I don't even remember what the first picture was. And he said, you know, I'm so-and-so, and and my job is to kill people. (laughs) Dennis, I thought I was going to be fired. Out of all (laughs) the things that I've been called to the principal's office for, I thought this one topped it all. Uh, because as I said in the beginning, I was responsible for this stuff. And not only could you hear a pin drop, you probably heard like my face fall in my hands and my jaw hit the floor. And then he said, My job is also to treat people. And he went on to give one of the most wonderful talks we've had. But, um, but I think, I think one of the key things is, again, as far as pearls and pitfalls, is to learn who's running these MPTs, know know the you know, have somebody who knows somebody like me that can kind of help massage getting people to where they need to go. Uh, some institutions are better at some things than other. Granted, um, but uh, but it, but it always helps to have somebody on the inside.
0: Absolutely. Well, thank you, Mark, for being our guy on the inside and uh, talking to us today.
1: Thank you Dennis. I wish you well. All right.
0: That's it for today's podcast. Be sure to go to our website www.prolongfieldcare.org. Find us on Facebook, YouTube, Instagram. Subscribe and stay on the bleeding edge of combat medicine. This is Dennis for the PFC podcast. Our
1: boy is waiting for you.
0: But that's okay, because you can still help me. So what I'm going to do with this video once I'm done, and I get it finished, what I want this training video to be is about decision-making. Oh, wonderful. So it's not like, yes, they are going to be doing procedures, and you get to see them. But it's more about the decision-making process to get to that. You know, priorities of tactics versus medicine, you know, what type of interventions they're going to do, et cetera, et cetera. So it's not going to be just, you know, how do you do a needle decompression? It's going to be, why are you doing this? To Get fantastic. people to start thinking about putting things together.